Welcome to Christian Anglers Media, uh, brought to you by your host, Philip Dutra. This is episode six, and this episode is on strategy. So, uh, super excited to be back in the studio recording, um, and uh, let's let's take off here. So, first, I just want to say uh, this podcast, my strategy and my thought process for this podcast is really about teaching people how to fish and going into the the deeper subjects and concepts of fishing, not just uh, essentially giving someone a fish, right? Not just, you know, talking about what I think a lot of people just talk about, whether it's waypoints or, you know, this area of a lake or whatever it may be uh, per topic. So we like to try to go a little deeper and I really hope that helps. Um, I'd love to hear any feedback. We, we definitely appreciate the feedback, whether it's uh, on the podcast itself, whatever platform you listen to it or on any of my social media um, Instagram, Facebook. So, uh, feel free to leave any comments, feedback on, uh, any of those platforms. Again, we love to hear it and, uh, it's been great so far. So, uh, this episode is brought to you by Arbor Wealth Management, uh, which is I'm part owner in, uh, we are the outdoorsman's financial advisors. So we help, uh, we help everybody. It doesn't have to be a, a fisherman or an outdoorsman, but, uh, we help them with investments, 401k rollovers, IRAs, non-qualified accounts, uh, financial planning, any and all of those categories. So feel free to reach out to me. Uh, we also have a website, arborwealthmanagement.com. You can go check us out there, um, get a little more info. Otherwise, you can reach out to me and uh, I can get in contact with you again uh, via my Instagram, Facebook. If you want to shoot me a message, I can always get back to you there. Okay, so this episode again is strategy. Um, I love this topic. This is probably my overall most in-depth favorite topic um, out of all the different things that, uh, you know, I talk to friends and buddies about. And, and I think it's one of the things that's helped me in my career. Uh, when I look at all the successes that I've had, I think it attributes probably the most if you boil it down to strategy. So um, we are going to get in and talk about that. Uh, first, I did forget uh, bait of the week. Um, and then I'll jump in bait of the week this week is, uh, Bobby D. He's a, uh, a personal bait maker back in California on the Delta. He sells them all over the country though. Um, we actually designed a bait. I helped them design a bait a couple years ago called the Dutra's finesse blade. So, uh, I was a huge part of helping, helping that. That was something that I was looking for, uh, in regards to a smaller spinner bait. Um, I, 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 a few years ago at Lake Mead, when I went, I had an old, uh, finesse spinner bait and it worked really, really well. Just a more compact blades are smaller, wire smaller, uh, hook is smaller. It's, you know, everything is just, is finesse down. And I forgot what company it was, but they went out of business and, uh, there was no other company that had them out there that at least what I was looking for or that I could find, maybe there was, but anyway, so Bobby D came up with uh, what we call the Dutra finesse blade. You can check them out at blankedoutdoors.com, BL, the number eight NKT outdoors.com again, BL, the number eight NKT outdoors.com. They sell all kinds of stuff, by the way, he's also a good friend of mine who owns blanked outdoors. Um, so they have all kinds of tackle, but check out the Dutra finesse blade again, smaller blades. I love it. Um, and just really for any, any reason you want to downsize. So whether it's bait forage size, that was one of the big reasons, uh, you have, especially a lot of times in the fall, there's a lot of little shad or depending on where you are, um, could be pond smelt or whatever it may be. Uh, and you get those big schools of, um, the, a smaller blade, a lot of times matches a hatch and, and that can be an absolute ginormous difference. Um, so I know there's a lot of guys out there that have been throwing in the last couple of years. I've had a lot of success. I throw them on tour. Again, it's a specific situation. I think a spinner bait is a great overall bait. And when we came out with this finesse blade, it honestly, for me, opened up the amount of areas that I could throw a spinner bait or situations I should say, but because before a spinner bait, uh, even though you can modify it a lot and do different things with the blade combinations and whatnot, it still was more of a stained water, dirtier water, overall style of bait. And with this, now I can fish it in really clear water. I can fish it really deep, uh, a lot more effective. I can fish it. Um, and again, match the forge type. So check it out. We got some really cool colors. I've had a lot of success on it. Um, and, uh, again, blankedoutdoors.com. So there is a lot of talent in bass fishing, I think in any sport, but I think there is uh, little strategy involved. And I think so many people overlook strategy. Um, talent and strategy, right? There's, there's a huge difference. Obviously talent, you could just have raw talent in anything, but if you're not strategic in, in, especially in bass fishing, um, you know, you can have all the talent in the world with a certain, uh, with a certain bait 
or a technique or whatever it may be, but, um, it's so much more in tournament bass fishing or in just succeeding in bass fishing in general. And I think so much of that comes down to strategy. So I wanted to take this episode and slow down and just back up, uh, and talk about the foundation of fishing, which includes strategy, right? Um, again, so many conversations, everybody wants to jump right into these days on the hot YouTube video of a guy catching a cool fish or the newest technique, um, and all those things. And those are all great. They're all helpful. Um, they're all important, but I think especially in the day and age that we live in, uh, with waypoint sharing all the YouTube videos, all the information out there, like never before, I think the focus is, uh, getting shifted. And I think that actually makes fishermen overall worse over time when there's so much content in just pure fish catching or whether it's spots or waypoints. I know there's now there's websites that are selling waypoints and selling spots and all these things. And I think that's actually going to make fishermen worse because, um, they're not learning, uh, the, the, the foundations of bass fishing and putting in the time and effort and, and, and trial and error and watching, you know, wildlife and, and all those things when you're out there. So, so this is this subject of strategy. Again, it's kind of slowing down, going back to the roots of bass fishing and, and tournament fishing. And so what makes up strategy in my opinion, um, is wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I actually have these three different words. Uh, they've been really important words to me in my walk as a Christian and also in fishing, I actually have them written down on different rods of mine. Um, some people see some of my rods and on the corks, some will say wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And to me, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding equals strategy. And you may say, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, the more knowledge you have of bass, uh, educating yourself and studying bass and studying techniques and studying movements and, 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 and doing those deep dives of homework, that's knowledge. Um, and, un, you know, knowledge and understanding, right? Knowledge of just fish in general, but knowledge is just one factor, right? Knowledge is just what your brain knows. Understanding is understanding what you know and how to, uh, how to use it, how to, um, deviate from it or understanding fish movements, right? So you have the knowledge of what if, you know, different baits and all those techniques and stuff. And then you have an understanding of fish and how they move and times a year and watercolors and all that. And then wisdom is using everything that you know, putting it together to creating the perfect strategy or the best strategy that you can. And, you know, the, uh, I think again, these three words, if you apply them to bass fishing and then also in life, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about, uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding actually one of my favorite, um, scriptures in the Bible. And I'm going to read it cause it applies to, to life and bass fishing. And it's, uh, it's Proverbs two. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, it says my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in it integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and, and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. So in life, uh, that's pretty powerful, I think. Um, again, it's been a scripture that I've lived by for years. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And uh, it's pretty powerful, you know, talking about wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And, if, and it talks about if you seek those things um, and then what the benefits are, right? And and what the rewards are, delivering you from the ways of evil and um, and just the peace that we have through that. So uh, I would highly recommend looking that up and digging a little deeper in yourself. Again, Proverbs 2, it goes on even more, but that's a, a really cool scripture. But I apply that to bass fishing as well. Um, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for me uh, in, the, in creating that overall strategy uh, by utilizing those three things and those three words and really seeking that for me has been a huge part of who I am as a bass fisherman. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen or heard me talk about SVE, which is on my Jersey and on my boat, it's strategy, versatility, execution. Those are the three things that I strive for and to game plan around and to, to really build my bass fishing career on strategy, versatility, execution. And 
And so again, this is the first word of that, right? S is for strategy. And that's what we're going to talk about more today. The Bible also has a cool verse that says, my people die for a lack of knowledge. That's powerful if you think about it, right? My people die for a lack of knowledge. And again, I apply that to bass fishing, right? The more knowledge I have, the more understanding I have, the more wisdom I have, the better success I'm going to have. What, whether that's tournament fishing for you or for me, or whether that's just going out on day on the water and wanting to succeed the best you can and catching a bass and having a fun time. So, um, I think it's really important to, to seek these things. Um, so first I want to talk about identifying your goals, right? So in, in regards to strategy, so what, what is your goal? What is, what, you know, what is your goal when you start the season? If you're a tournament guy like myself, if you're not, you can apply the same things, but I'm going to talk in the, in the tournament sense. So are you looking for, um, you know, achieving an angler of the year or are you looking for winning an event or qualifying for a championship? And putting a strategy together for each one of these is completely different. Um, the, the strategy and the path for these different, these different uh, goals can be completely different. So once you, but first you need to identify that goal. What is that goal? Is your goal to make the next tour level and you need to be in the top, you know, eight in the points or making the championship. You need to be in the top, you know, whatever it is for your circuit that you're fishing. So I think first and foremost, you need to identify what is my goal. For me growing up uh, back in California on the Delta, I really prided and really sought after Angler of the Years. And, uh, you know, I did really well. I think I have 11 Angler of the Years back on the on the West Coast, on the Delta, and even in the FLW, the old FLW Toyota series. Um, and that was something that I really strove for, more than even an individual win. Um, I, I, I always strove for those Angler of the Years. Um, more and more, obviously everybody, you know, we all want to win is including myself. And that's something that I strive for as well. Um, and so that, but again, that's going to be a, a completely different strategy when you're looking to win an event. Um, or, or sometimes those strategies can cross or those goals can cross and blend together. And as you're seeking angler of the year, you see opportunities to win. And so that can mesh together as well. Or if it's qualifying for a championship, um, you know, I know at the very top level, whether it's the basketball tour or the elite series, you always hear guys, you know, want, you know, talking about wanting to make the championship. That generally means you had a good season. Obviously, you have the opportunity to be on a big stage and fish for a lot of money, uh, or even if it's a local level uh, or, or state level on wherever you are, uh, that's a big deal. Making championships is a big deal. So how do we put a strategy together based on that? Uh, I'm going to read two more quick verses. Uh, one is Luke 14, 28. It says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Um, and I, and again, I apply this to exactly what I'm talking about, identifying your goals and then sitting down and, and putting a strategy together. And in the Bible, it, you know, talking about um, wisdom here for which of you who desires to build a tower, but doesn't first sit down and count the cost, right? You, you're, you, you need to sit down and put the strategy there. Can I afford it? What's it going to cost? How am I going to do this? What are the steps going to be to, to achieve that? And the second verse is Proverbs 19 two. It says desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Another powerful verse, right? Desire without knowledge is not good. So you desire to be angler of the year. You desire to win a tournament. You desire to do something in life, whatever it may, may be, but without knowledge, it's not good. And if you make haste with your feet, if you just say, oh, I just want to do this and you go for it without sitting down first and putting together a strategy, putting together a plan, you, you know, looking, breaking things down and, and again, wisdom, knowledge, understanding as you apply those things to whatever it is your goal is, you're probably going to have a much better outcome instead of, as the verse says, instead of people who ever just make haste and just go for it without even sitting down first. So I want to throw in those couple of scriptures because they fit perfectly. So how do we do that? Um, how do we uh, achieve that goal and strategically? So first is setting a plan, um, knowing what you have and what you don't have. What does that mean? Knowing what you have and what you don't have? Well, it depends on where you are and what you're trying to achieve. But as a fisherman, I'm going to talk obviously a lot about myself today uh, as examples, because that's the best example I can give is myself and, and, and examples on each one of these subjects. So I'm going to start with um, setting a plan, right? So my plan, my goals uh, at, where I'm fishing on the Tackle Warehouse Invitational Tour is to make the next, uh, the next series, which is the Bass Pro Tour. And so that requires the top eight in the points uh, and at the end of the year. And so how do I achieve that? How do I get there? And so I set a plan up for myself. 
Um, at first it, it involves looking at the schedule. Now you might be a guy who's just fishing, uh, a, you know, a certain lake that like when I was on the Delta, the California Delta, I fished basically series that were just strictly the Delta. But even if it's just that you're setting a plan based on the schedule, the time of year that the events are coming out, how many events are there. And again, and according to what your plan is or what your goal is, you're going to set a plan up of how can I achieve that, right? If I'm seeking angler of the year, how does this schedule look? Where's maybe some potential hiccups that I'm going to have to prepare for and maybe put in extra work in that area or that time of year or that technique. Or for, for my, for my case, I'm going to lakes I've never been to all over the country. So I got to look and kind of do a deep dive on each of these fisheries. How does this lake set up? What am I fishing for? What's the depth zone? All these different, um, factors that come into play. And then knowing my strengths and weaknesses, what are the events that probably favor me better before I've even been to the lake? That doesn't mean you can't do great on a lake that you maybe thought otherwise and vice versa, but putting together a plan of what's my way of my best shot at getting to that goal. So looking at the schedule, looking at the times of year and, and really researching for that time of year, what it takes and, and what are the, maybe the known predominant baits and, and, uh, of that time of year at that lake specific, specific lake that you're going to. Uh, I said, know what you have and what you don't have. What does that mean? knowing what you have, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. Um, I, you know, I think that's a, a big deal. I, I was talking to a good buddy earlier today and we were just talking about, you know, sometimes, sometimes you, uh, you all have an event where I know that maybe because of my practice that, you know, it, maybe I'm not on the winning fish and I really didn't find them at all, but maybe I found something that I felt like could give me you know, a top 10 finish or a top 20 finish or whatever that may be. It's all relative to, to the amount of boats. But, um, and, and so knowing what you have and what you don't have, and then, and then being wise about that. So the conversation I was having with my, one of my good buddies, uh, back in California, California today was, you know, there's been many events in my life, um, when I've done really well and won angler of the, of the years and along that path of winning angler of the year, there was a, maybe a time of year that was set up or just a pre-fish a couple days before that event where I just couldn't figure out the better fish. But instead of just continuing all the way through the game day, just saying, well, I'm going to keep throwing these certain baits cause I can get a bigger bite. But if I haven't been, if, if, if I haven't been achieving that in practice, if it's not showing up, if I don't have the, the gut feeling or the confidence, well, maybe I need to realize that and say, Hey, I'm going to make a, 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 a wisdom call here and I'm going to go fish for maybe a mediocre bag that I know I can probably catch. I'm probably not going to win. I'm probably not going to take second or third, but I'm going to keep myself high in the points, get a check, get good points. Those that's part of strategy. And I know some people, you know, some people, again, dependent upon what your goal is. Some people just go out. They don't really care. They just want to try to win every event possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you're a tournament guy and you want to succeed, um, that's probably not going to work. You're not going to get to the next level. If you can, if you just fish for the win, every single event, um, you may win some events and you may have a great, uh, you know, a, a great season here and there, but more times than not, the, the getting to the next level is more about consistency instead of a, a big win. And so that's really important of knowing what you have and what you don't have. Uh, and then I think accepting what you have, it's okay to, to not be on the winning fish every time. It's not always going to happen. Um, even when you're on the winning fish, very rarely do you still win because of all the different factors in bass fishing, but accepting what you have. Um, and so again, there's times a year where I feel like, especially back now that I've moved personally, I moved a year and a half ago back to Alabama. And so I'm fishing all over the country, places I've never fished. So there's certain fisheries I go to. And after two or three days of practice, um, you know, now I know what I have and I don't have, and I got to accept that. And, and that may, that may be not, you know, accepting the fact that I'm probably not fishing for the win or maybe even a top 10, but I'm just trying to get by this event because it just, it's not setting up well. I didn't figure them out. So I'm going to be happy and confident that I'm going out to fish for maybe even a top 40 finish out of, you know, 150 or 160, because it's now it's about being strategic about the points and about getting paid. And my, and I can, you know, I can shoot for getting paid and getting the points, get out of this event alive and regroup on the next one. And hopefully, you know, it sets up better or I find them better. Uh, working on weaknesses. That's something that, um, I think any great athlete, um, 
what, you know, any of the great athletes will tell you, you know, you, you, you want to work on your weaknesses. There's a time and place to work on them. Um, so my off season or not even just off season, cause sometimes it's got to be in the middle of the season for that time of year to work on something. So for example, for me, I'm on Lake Gunnersville and what I've learned on the TVA is ledge fishing is a huge, huge, huge deal, especially May, June, July, uh, maybe a little before, maybe a little after I have very little experience on that. So I'm not going to just accept that and, and, and know that time of year I'm going to get beat. I'm going to put in my work. And so now that I've realized what times of year the ledge fishing for me out here on the TVA is dominant after I've watched it all year, I've paid really close attention to the weights. I've paid really close attention to social media to see how, you know, how, when that bite is kind of fizzling out as it's starting to now, or it already has started to. So now I know for next year, when this time comes, I will spend 90% of my time on the water, especially practice and fun fishing doing that. Because if I don't, then I'm going to get I'm going to get my butt kicked every May, June, July, that time of year. And just because I'm not willing to accept that that's a weakness and I need to work on it. So whatever that may be in your area, wherever you're fishing, if you have a weakness on, especially if it's on a body of water that you know that you need to do back on the California Delta, um, you know, it's, it's primarily a, a puncher's heaven there. And if you're not a puncher almost year round, you're not going to win much. So if you're back on the California Delta listening to this and you're not a puncher, you should be doing nothing but punching to learn that. And depending on where you are, you know, this, you can apply this to anywhere and everywhere. But again, my experiences, so I'm just drawing from those. But, um, so, you know, you need to, you need to realize what is a factor and what, you know, you don't need to necessarily work on something if it's not a factor in your region that you're ever going to do. Um, you don't need to go learn how to flog for, you know, smallmouth if that's not if that's something that you're not even in that region and ever plan on going to do that. Right. But you need to figure out what factors in time or what, what strengths that you, maybe you don't have that are factors on your body of water or on your upcoming schedule and really work on that. Um, I'm a huge fan, uh, part of, you know, the SVE slogan that I live by is versatility. That's the V, right? And so I think being versatile and learning those key patterns, um, that you're going to need, uh, if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And then, uh, I think understanding and being strategic about quantity and versus quality. And I think they're both important in bass fishing, uh, I, I see that more now, especially on tour back, back on the, uh, you know, on the, on the tour back here on the, in the, you know, on the East coast is that quantity still matters. Um, this year, uh, couldn't have shown me that any better than it did. Um, I had a, not the best year, but off the you know, if you look at the paper, I didn't have my best year. Actually, it was one of my worst years, but I, you know, if you, for myself, when I analyzed my season, I felt like I had a much better year than it showed on paper. The, the key though was I had three tournaments where I didn't, where one day I didn't weigh a limit and that goes to quantity. I was fishing around the quality, but I wasn't getting the quantity. And so I had to really, um, step back the last couple months and really analyze what did I do different last year? Because even though I was fishing for the right ones this year and I hooked them in basically almost every event, uh, if I'm not getting the quantity of bites, you're going to lose, whether it's one fish or three fish or whatever it may be. And if I'm not getting enough quantity of bites to make up for that, it's either you're going to come in with a bad tournament and sit there and talk about the hood, woulda, shoulda, couldas, I lost it, whatever. Or you can say, realize, well, yeah, I might've had the bites and I didn't land them, but at the end of the year, I'm not going to get to my goal with this strategy of just fishing for quality. So I need to incorporate quantity and, and that's maybe certain techniques and patterns that I'm going to have a better opportunity at more quantity. And I was analyzing just my year last year, my year this year. And I think the biggest difference last year, I had a really good year, especially for my rookie season, not, not ever being out here, but I, I was generating some more bites. And at the end of the year, just a couple, two pounders would make my year look completely different on tour, just from not weighing, you know, from weighing three fish on one day of an event. Um, and if, you know, you add two, two pounders, that's four pounds more to your total bag over two days. And that could be 50 places different on, on when you get on this tour or any level. And so for me, that's something that I have to really analyze on my strategy moving forward next year is making sure I'm doing a few more things to generate quantity, um, but not completely sacrificing quality and real and really making that balance that, Hey, I need, maybe I need to incorporate a few things that I used to do, or maybe I didn't do as much so that I have that available and ready to go. Um, and then, uh, you know, also part of this is when do I fish conservative versus fishing for the win? Um, I think, you know, looking at the schedule time of year, whether again, whether you're a regional guy and you fish the same place or whether you're, you know, fishing any series, um, 
I always go out and practice with an empty slate and I let the practice tell me if I'm going to be fishing for the win, uh, or if I'm going to be fishing more conservative to, to preserve points or forward check or whatever that may be. Um, again, that's being strategic based on my practice and based on the actual tournament as it's progressing through the first day and the second day. Um, and so there's, you know, I, I don't always just say, I'm going to go fish for the win. Well, it depends on how things are shaping up. Cause if you try to go fish for the win, when you're nowhere clear, clear to finding it or close to finding it, um, you're probably going to fall flat on your face where maybe you could have went and fished for a mediocre bag and got a check and got some points. And so, um, again, I think that is being very strategic about what you have and what you found in practice and how the day is developing. Okay. I'm going to transition into baits and a st- strategy about, um, baits. So I, I touched briefly on this earlier, but identifying and learning techniques and having confidence in all categories, not necessarily every bait out there, but every category. Uh, this is something that again, it, it blends into the versatility, um, uh, uh, concept of being versatile, but being, I think in, in strategy, it's part of your strategy should be, I need to make sure I'm versatile enough. Even if I'm on just on one fishery, I can talk about the California Delta where most people could say it's, you know, a very, it's, it's, it's a, it's minimally versatile in, in regards to it's mostly a power fishery. It's a, it's a grass fishery, but I have so much success I've had there, whether in not, and not even catching five fish in tournaments doing them, but it might be one or two key fish I caught on a drop shot or one fish I caught, you know, on a rip bait in this tournament or one fish I caught doing this, that, or the other, something other than the traditional chatterbait punching and frogging on the Delta and those key fish, they may have been my fifth fish in a bag, but that was the difference of a three pounder versus a pound and a halfer that I had in the bag. And, and that fish gave me, um, you know, the difference between 10th and second or third and first or whatever, whatever it may be. So being strategic in techniques and having that confidence in all categories. I want to talk about a few of them. Um, for me, I make sure that I am confident in a finesse, slow approach and a finesse winding approach. So I love, if you know, I feel very confident with a drop shot, with a Ned rig and with a Nico rig. Um, there's other finesse techniques, um, uh, like a shaky head and, you know, different, different wacky rig styles that they have the weight in on the bottom and different kinds of, uh, finesse techniques that, that you can fish slow. I'm not saying you have to be, uh, extremely confident with every single last one. It's probably not a bad idea, but you should at least have a few different confidence baits per category. So if it is, if it turns into that tournament, you're ready to go. So for me, again, I love throwing a, a, a Ned rig. I love throwing a drop shot. I love throwing a Nico rig when it comes to finesse winding. So whether it's, you know, a 2.8 inch Kayatek or, you know, a, a spy bait, I, I actually love to throw a spy bait in certain situations. So find yourself, um, those techniques, because regardless of where you are in the country, finesse fishing is only getting more and more powerful with the amount of pressure, with the amount of live scope, with the amount of transducers, finesse fishing is, is extremely important. I mean, you look at the greatest of all time, Aaron Martin's one of the greatest, uh, you know, f- finesse fishermen's of all time. And he built his whole career on it. And that was before uh, majority of that was before where we are now with the forward facing sonar and all of the, uh, the extra pressure factor. So, uh, if you're not a finesse fisherman, I would being strategic on, on your success as a fisherman, you should really learn, um, how to find a couple different winding and a couple different slow techniques when it comes to power fishing. That also is extremely important. Um, whether it's a winding bait and a, a chatter bait or swim baits, top waters, uh, I love to do a lot of power fishing. I, I love power fishing from the California Delta fish clear lake a lot. Also slow power fishing. So, you know, flipping, flipping is a, is a, it can be a, is a power fishing technique, but, um, but it's a slower, it's, it's a slower presentation. And I think it's important to have those four categories, a slow and a winding technique, both in power and finesse. If you leave one of those out, it will bite you. I can promise you if you fish enough, or you would, you don't even realize what you're missing out on by missing those. Uh, next category is deep and shallow. Um, I think you, you got to learn how to do both. Uh, again, especially the, the, the greater the technology and the more information that's out, you, you, you look at the successful fishermen in the past who built their careers on whether it was, I'm a deep guy, I'm a shallow guy, I'm a power guy, I'm a finesse guy that's going away as bass fishing progresses. You have to be versatile. Um, you'll see that more and more, just look at the stats, look at the best guys in the country and look at how they're doing or the guys that are more one dimensional. They may have a couple good tournaments and they have a, a, quite a few bad ones because they don't know how to do a certain thing. And back in the day they could get away with it, but now that's not working, uh, as n- nearly as well. 
And so, you know, for me, uh, I love fishing deep. I love fishing clear, deep water. I got to do a little bit of that back home in California and, and uh, at Lake Shasta and Lake Oroville and uh, even got to practice some of the power deep stuff on uh, the south side of Clear Lake. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really important. And then obviously fishing shallow. And uh, the interesting concept on the shallow um, deal is the, the, especially the, on the bank, you have fewer people fishing the bank now, I think. Um, and it's that whole John Cox mentality and concept that now with live scope and now with the transducers and all the crazy technology, especially the youth, more and more guys are not, they don't even know how to fish shallow or, or that when I say shallow, the bank, I mean, and, and, and fishing without transducers and sonars. And so I think that actually maybe even come more powerful as time goes on because less people are doing it. And there's always, you know, large mouth bass or, oh, there's always shallow fish. So learn how to fish deep, learn how to fish shallow, learn power, finesse, learn to be good with both in the, in the winding and in the slow categories. Um, I think also being strategic, you need to identify and find baits for you that work really well for numbers and also for big fish. So what are just fish catching techniques and what are maybe some techniques that don't generate as many bites, but they're bigger ones. Extremely important. Um, I, you know, the big fish techniques, I like to call the knockout punch, right? The knockout punch and having that can be extremely important uh, whether you, you don't use it all the time, there's, there's proper times to use it. There's times when, um, you, you know, you need to apply it and you get one of those key fish and it's the, the world of difference. So I think identifying different baits, um, depending on where you are and what's considered a, a small fish and a big fish of identifying what gets those better bites. Because sometimes I, I think a lot of people don't realize there's certain techniques that are just proven scientifically. And you look at the stats that over and over a certain technique in a certain time of year on a certain, with certain situations just generally doesn't ever produce big ones. Now, obviously there's, there's always the outlier, but day in and day out playing percentages, uh, there's certain techniques, certain times of year that just don't produce big fish. And then other times of year they might or whatnot, but identifying those is important and making sure that you're using them strategically. So you know, if you're, if you're getting the same results and with the same baits and they're known not to really generate better bites is probably more of a, and I'm going to go to the, to the back to the Delta. The Delta is dominated with a flipping stick. And if you're flipping and not getting the right bites, you probably just aren't doing it in the right areas, the right timing and tides and all that. And so you, you would know that, but you know, by tournament results and talking to people that this is what is dominating. So I need to learn it. I need to get better. But if you're throwing a square bill crankbait in the dead of summer in the Delta, you're probably never going to, you know, win tournaments because that's just not something that generally produces quality bites that time of year it produces great bites earlier and later. But that time of year, you're, you're throwing the wrong bait in the right, in the wrong situation. And you're probably never going to change the result because you're, 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 you're throwing the wrong bait in the wrong situation. So that's um, just proving, proven baits for the proven times of year. Um, all right, we're going to transition into practice and there's so much strategy in practice and I, I like this topic a lot. So we're going to, we're going to be here for, for a few minutes for sure. So practice, how many days of practice matters, right? When, when I go on tour, um, generally this last year, we got three days of practice. You can also potentially have a pre-practice, um, and you can, you can potentially strategize that as well. But for w what I did this year and even moving forward, I get three days of practice on lakes and bodies of water I've never been to. So how do you strategize and be strategic on, the amount of time you have on a body of water and how big it is and, and, and all of that. So first and foremost, um, you know, in practicing, I, you know, I would recommend doing as much research as you can before you ever get to the lake. You know, you do the Google earth, you find out the general info. I don't like to get a lot of specific info cause I think it's actually will hurt you. But if you get general info of just general areas, just general basic areas that are known, uh, that have bigger fish populations. Um, and then you break your, three days, uh, for, for me, it'd be three days. And depending on what, well, how many days you have, whether it's less or more, you break that down into what your goals are and what you think you're going to do and how much time you're going to need in each. Don't just launch the boat and go fishing because you're probably not going to cover much water at all. Um, one of the things that I do that helps me in practice, if I say, okay, I want to see a certain zone of the lake today, what's helped me tremendously is I will launch the boat and run to the farthest point first driving at 30 to 40 miles an hour, looking at the bank and everything on the whole way there. Because if I launch the boat and start fishing right next to the ramp, everything that looks good at the end of the day, I've probably haven't even gone a mile because everything looks good. But if I travel the 50 miles of distance, 
then what I thought looked good originally may not look nearly as good as something 10 miles down the way, but I would have never known that if I didn't drive the lake first. So that's something I learned that back in 2013 when I went to Lake Mead, Big Lake. I didn't know how to break it down, so I said, let me drive as far as I can first and look at everything before I even make a cast, and that really helped, and then you're waypointing along the way. So for me, that helps me be more efficient with my time. Uh, time management and practice uh, is, is, again, is, is, is huge. It's, it's, it's absolutely massive in the amount of not wasting time and being efficient with it. And so, again, break out the maps, break it down uh, by the more research you do beforehand probably will help you knowing how it sets up and what you want to look at. Uh, maybe looking at your, your Lake Master or your Navionics or whatever graph system you use, you can look at, you know, humps or d- depending on what fisher you are and what you're looking for. But you can, once you identify how many, uh, say you're at a place where you're fishing offshore humps, well, you can look and see on your mapping before you ever get there, oh my gosh, there's hundreds of them or, oh, maybe there's only seven of them. And so if there's hundreds of them, well, how am I going to manage that? Maybe try two or three in a certain area at a certain depth and then, you know, up the lake 10 miles more, you try two or three of them, whatever it may be, but you got to strategize that. Otherwise you're going to start fishing them and you're never going to get anywhere. So, um, uh, another, uh, definitely, um, strategic it's in, in regards to being the style of fisherman you are. So in practicing, I'm going to, I'm going to take my travel partner, Andrew Loberg, um, and, and myself and give you two different examples of being strategic in your practice and what fits your style. So we're, we're, where we differ and they both have worked for us uh, very well is I like to see more water, even though I get to spend less time on it. And he likes to see less water, but really feel comfortable and dialed in and know every nuance in that area. And so depending on how you are as a fisherman, I can't do that. What he does, I'm not wired that way. I feel like I'm missing something. I like to go, go, go. Although it can be very stressful because as I'm going, I want to learn. And so it's, it's a, it's, it can be really tough. Um, my theory is I don't want to miss out on any wide open part of the lake that if I never saw it, then I would just full blown miss it. And, uh, and his theory is more do enough research. So, you know, the general areas and spend all my time in that. Uh, or in, in, I'm not saying he fishes a small area, but he may not fish the whole lake. He may take half the lake or certain sections of it. And it's worked really well for him and my styles work really well for me. So, but again, that's just being strategic according to your style. These are all things that you want to, you want to think about. You want to map this all out before you get there, because the majority, I think, again, going back to the comment I made in the very beginning, there's so much talent, um, but so little strategy. And that's the difference between tens and hundreds of thousands of people that want to be at a national tour level, uh, fishing at that level and that aren't, and that there's only a couple hundred. And that's because of the minute details, the minute details and being strategic and, and being versatile and really deep diving into the subjects that we're talking about. This is, I believe what totally separates somebody at the very top versus a, just another really good fisherman, but never got there. And it's, it's all these, these micro topics we're talking about and really deep diving in and understanding who you are as a fisherman and applying it. Um, so I also want to talk about risk of an area. What does that mean? Risk of an area. So risk of an area means how long does it take to run there? Are you, is it, it, because there's risk in that, right? If you're running an hour to get to a spot, do you need to get gas? That's a, that's another potential risk and, and a, definitely a time consumption uh, issue, or if there's a gas station closed down or just mapping it out, making sure that the gas station is open at the right time, or just the amount, if, even if you don't have to get gas, just the amount of time you lose in the length of a run. But there's also pros that come with that. Um, I tend to love to run if I can, and if I can find them, uh, I, well, I shouldn't say I'd love to, I love to do it all, but I don't mind running long lengths. Um, if I know I found the fish there, uh, also the risk of an area could be the exposure to weather. If you're fishing an area that's completely offshore, open to the weather, uh, especially if you're on a big body of water that can get totally destroyed by the weather, or maybe you're on a certain side of the lake. And if you're not looking ahead of time and seeing the weather, um, you might know the weather ahead of time is going to be 30 miles an hour for the next three days, blowing into a, a Western bank. It probably wouldn't make the most sense to just fish that Western bank in practice, especially if it's calm and you think you found all these fish, but you're going to have a massive weather change. You may not even be able to fish that bank. So <clears throat> always pay attention to all the factors in regards to what can affect this area or what is this area going to cost me and what is the risk reward of it? Um, I, I, I think of Champlain when I went there, awesome lake and there's a good, there's a good large mouth and small mouth. It's, it's phenomenal for both. And it used to be known. And even up to a few years ago that you could win running all the way. It's like 60. You can go like 
80 miles, I think maybe even further down to Ticonderoga. And it's a really healthy largemouth population. Uh, when I went there last year, I had very little smallmouth knowledge. Um, and I'm much more comfortable in the grass or with largemouth. But I, the risk to me, that lake is so big, and I've heard all the stories of the wind coming up. It could take three or four hours to get back. Um, and so to me, the, it was more of a risk, even though I'm more comfortable with largemouth, instead of staying right next to the, you know, within 10 miles of the ramp like everybody else or 20 miles of the ramp <clears throat> and fishing for smallmouth and just saying, hey, I got to learn smallmouth anyway. So, uh, and they're, 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 there's tons of them here. They're a much shorter run. I got plenty of time to figure them out. And then I end up cutting a check and doing really well. <clears throat> catching mostly smallmouth. I actually did catch a couple largemouth up north, uh, so I didn't have to make that run. But that's what I would call the risk of an area and really analyzing what is you, what is my risk. There's so many times I've talked to friends and whatnot that are, you know, ah, oh, I have these fish. I just couldn't get there. And you need to think about that in practice. You need to think about that. And if you're going to check it out, that's great, but also have a backup plan. It, you know, so if you have a certain amount of days of practice and there's a super far away place, especially if it's a place that can get rough, you know, if it's a place that maybe really can't get too rough, then maybe you can spend a couple of days of practice there. But if it's a place that could t- potentially that could be the end of your tournament, just based on weather, you may want to spend half your time somewhere else closer, um, just for that plan B factor of the weather, because the weather is everything in bass fishing, um, strategy in knowing the species types and the strains and how they play. Uh, this back on the Delta was a huge player for me. Um, when I, when I think of the strains of, of the bass on the Delta, so we have the Florida strains back there on the California Delta and they have the Northerns and they have the, the hybrids. Um, they're mostly actually hybrids and Northerns. And years ago, the first, uh, six, seven, eight years I fished with my old tournament partner, Harvey Pulliam back there. Our, our, we always used to say, if it was a bad cold front, we're going to fish for Northerns. And if the weather's really good and stable, we're going to go fish for the Floridas. And you can't win with the Northerns on a, on a good day of fishing. But when it's a bad day of fishing, the Florida shut down because Northerns are more aggressive. Uh, we could still go catch really good quality bags and win or take a top five. And so that's just being strategic on the strains of bass in your fishery and understanding how they, what their attitudes are and how they, uh, how they react to weather and to certain situations and circumstances. And not, not every fishery you have that option or not every fishery does the other strain even play at all. So sometimes you're forced to fish for one strain or one species. Um, but if, but if they do have multiple strains, um, or species understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are and when to apply them, uh, in, in learning that I need to learn how to fish for these other, um, whether it's smallmouth, spotted bass, or, you know, Florida's or Northern's, you better learn how to fish for all four because it, it, that will help you be a much better fisherman over time. Um, so what, what, what bite is the most consistent when I'm out fishing and I'm out practicing? What, what bite was the most consistent that I found? That's a huge factor because the home run, the home run punches, the home run, you know, swings, you know, just like in baseball, they they happen way less than they actually happen. Right. And so you don't want to be swinging all the time. You want to know when to swing. And even when you swing for the fence, if you miss, you don't want that to be your tournament. So you want to also incorporate that with a consistent bite and do things that are consistent in the body of water that you are in. So go take the time, learn, Hey, okay. I know this, this fishery, you know, sets up a certain way. Maybe I can catch them on a big swim bait. That's not going to be consistent, but yeah, maybe I want to go learn that and figure that out to try to get a a, a big bite or two. Or, you know, if you have an amazing day, those once a year, once every five year days, you get five bites in a tournament on something big like that. That's great. But more times than not, that's not going to happen. So maybe, maybe try to find a bait that you can get a, a big bite or something like that on, but find something that's going to give you consistent quality so that you're not going to have one big fish and then have nothing else to go with it. Um, practice for upcoming weather and changing weather. Um, I, that is weather is so big in bass fishing. Um, it's changes hour to hour, minute to minute. It changes the success that people have and don't have all the time. But if you're prepared for it, if you look ahead, if you, if you fish according to it and pay attention to fish habits while they're doing it, you will have way more success and way less failures. I can think of a time, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, it was, uh, back in 2011, I won the English choice pro-am on the Delta. And the day before the tournament, I found the biggest fish I'd ever seen on a bed in my life. It was a teener. It was, she was absolutely locked she was in like six seven feet of water and it she was in a, a big pond a open pond or uh, that we, we call them ponds on the on the delta but they have like seven or eight different kind of like flooded flooded uh 
lakes or ponds or whatnot that are attached to the river. So anyway, um, she was totally locked on the bed and I was so excited to go fish for her the next day. First day of the tournament was 35 mile, 35 mile an hour winds. And even though I had marked her, I put a little, uh, bobber on a little, uh, line to, to mark where she was. Um, I knew there was just no chance I was going to be able to catch her in my gut. My, my flesh was telling me, go fish for her. It's a giant, you know, imagine the picture, imagine holding her up. But my gut was saying, you're not going to catch her in this wind. So thankfully I listened to my gut. I ran to a dirtier water area, uh, that was protected. And I ended up winning that tournament with much, much less weight than it would normally take. But because of the wind and the weather, I won, it was a two day pro-am. I had 21 and 18 and a half, I think at almost 40 pounds. And uh, I won, that was my first pro-am I'd won. And I won it because I made the adjustment based on the weather and being strategic, knowing that I'm probably not going to be able to catch that fish as much as I want to fish for her. I'm not going to be able um, to, to probably succeed catching that. And it, and, and it panned out, um, obviously in my favor. And that was, that was awesome. But that's just a, a story of making that adjustment. Um, find finesse fish or more consistent fish. Um, so I'll give you another example there. Uh, 2021, I won one of the biggest tournaments I've won. It was a, um, apex event on Lake Comanche. I uh, have really ever never fished Lake Comanche outside of a two or three times before that different time of year. Um, and, and I found it was in August and I had found, um, uh, some finesse fish. I, I actually won that event using a variety of baits, a uh, four inch Cinco, a drop shot with a couple different baits a Ned rig. Um, and then I also each day caught a key fish on a top water. Um, it was a, a walking top water bait. And, uh, but that finesse fishing, as I spoke earlier about is more and more of a factor and it's consistent finesse fishing is, is generally more consistent. doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm going to do it all the time because sometimes it's consistent for two pounders and you need four pounders, but it's generally a more consistent bite. And so I think becoming a, a better finesse fisherman, uh, will help you be more consistent fishermen, uh, deep versus shallow. Uh, again, we live in 2023 with all the, the knowledge you have to know how to do both, um, more and more the deep bite, especially with the technology these days, the offshore bite, the deep bite, uh, both are, are, are arguably even more dominant, um, and, and more important now than ever. Uh, I can tell you a, a top 10, I had at clear Lake or just a, giving you example of just the way a fishery fishes a couple years ago, I top 10 at clear Lake and <clears throat> I was catching them really good up shallow, but I could only catch them at 12 o'clock or later up shallow. And thankfully I found some deep fish, at least for Clear Lake was deep, it was 12, 15, 18 feet of water. So I started each morning off there. And the first morning I caught 15 pounds and then I went up north and uh, the shallower section of the lake and, and upgraded to 21. The, the second day I ended up weighing every single fish on my deep stuff. I had almost 19 pounds. And so uh, learning how to blend them, learning depending on what lake you're on, um, learning the nuances of both. Um, they're both extremely important. I don't, I think if you're just an overall deep fisherman, you're going to miss out. And if you're an overall shallow fisherman, you're going to miss out. I think really understanding both and how to fish both will benefit you, whether some events you're going to fish all deep in an event and some events you're going to fish all shallow and in certain events you're going to do both. And they're going to be a huge player to, to be able to do that. And, uh, again, being strategic, per event that you go to, there's certain events that you go to that you're being smart, you're being strategic, you're using the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we talked about. And you're saying this event is definitely going to be a shallow event or vice versa. And so that event, maybe you're going to spend the majority of your time. But then there's other times a year where you know, hey, there's a deep bite and a shallow bite. I should try both and, and establish both patterns, especially if one's not working, usually the other is. Uh, dirty water versus clear water. Uh, another example on the California Delta, um, we, I used to... Um, run all the time to the dirtier water if we had a cold front and it's it's the same thing as you know if, if you're fishing current which i'll talk about in a minute current versus no current dirty water versus uh, clear water there's advantages to both dirty water and clear water obviously bait techniques and weather patterns depending on uh, where you are in the different weather some are going to benefit either or so current versus no current current fish are usually more consistent but they're not always in the current um, and, uh, certain times of the year, they're not in the current certain times of the year, they are in the current or there's times of the year there's both. So understanding, um, when to use both and when to use dirty water, when to use clear water. I, I feel like <clears throat> just being on tour, I notice, um, and just traveling around and meeting people, 
I think people are a lot more scared of dirtier water than they should be. Um, and they don't understand that dirty water can be ex extremely consistent. Um, it can help you with your consistency if you learn to fish dirty water. And I've, I've fished water with one inch of visibility. I don't prefer it to be that dirty, but um, I've definitely caught them and caught them good in that, that, that dirty, you know, that much of a, uh, of a, um, uh, um, how, you know, just how, how deep you can see in the water. And so, uh, I think it's, it's really important to learn and be comfortable fishing both ultra clear water. You know, for me back home in California, we have the U S open every year. I drive down there and uh, fish. You, you could see 30 foot of water and being efficient in fishing that ultra clear water has helped me tremendously, uh, doing both, <clears throat> excuse me, preparing for community water versus non-community water. When depending on your fishery or most fisheries have community water. So how do you be strategic about that? I, that's a huge player in how you prep for a tournament. Um, if you, there's community water, you probably know it's going to get hit and it's going to probably day one, it's going to get hit the hardest. So you want to potentially be strategic and what, you know, using your community water first potentially, and then always trying to find something that's not as community so that you have something to go to later in the day or day two or day three. Um, <clears throat> like, uh, uh, last year on Lake Pickwick, I had both in day one, I fished community stuff and I just survived day two. I had some non-community stuff and it, and it, and it pushed me all the way into the top 50 cut and, um, and just utilizing both, uh, for longer tournaments. So you always try to, I, I, I think some people make the mistake. They always run from the community water and some people make the mistake. They never go to anything that's not community and running from the community water. One thing I've learned is those are generally the easy fish. There's a reason they're community fish is because there's a lot of fish there and they just hold a lot of fish. So don't run from it. Learn how to catch them. Cause a lot of times they're the easiest fish and you go catch those. And then once those are worn out, then you can go to your other stuff. So being strategic about the spots that you found and being strategic about trying to find non-community stuff. You generally, you can do a little research and know what's probably going to be community before you even get there. Uh, identifying opportunity windows. Um, so as you're practicing, trying to identify time of day, the water temp windows, weather windows, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so there may be time of day first thing in the morning, you know, you get a certain window of a bite, a top water bite or whatever it may be. And so you, 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 you got to analyze the same with water temp, weather, all those different identity opportunity windows and knowing when to do a certain technique or be in a certain area, uh, you can save yourself a lot of time or completely optimize your day by being in those opportunity windows at the right time. There's lots of different windows, again, based on time of day, based on weather, based on water temp, all of those. Uh, and then the last thing <clears throat> in this category is identifying, well, you know, like I talked about earlier, a KO punch and I'm using boxing for an example here and a jab. A guy who goes out there and throws a KO punch every time is probably not going to win. And a guy who jabs every punch is probably also not going to win, right? It's identifying how to use those knockout punches and fishing with the, whether it's the technique, it's the area of the lake and being strategic. When do I utilize it or do I utilize it? Or do I use more? Do I, do I have a, you know, is my knockout technique, is it, am I generating five to eight bites a day? If I am, I can do that for most of the day. Cause I'm probably going to get those five bites, but if I'm only getting one to two bites in practice a day doing that, uh, I better rely on my, uh, plan B or my jab or, or something that's more, more a consistent bite to keep me alive and get the majority of my fish or maybe even all of them. Uh, and then plan B salvaging your tournament. Uh, I, I like to have plan C, D, E, and F. Um, sometimes I have them, sometimes I don't. The more I can identify, the better I feel because I just know in bass fishing, things change all the time. So the more I can identify, um, you know, plan B, C, D, and E, the, the more I have options. If things change, doesn't mean I'm going to use them all, or maybe I use part of plan B, part of plan C. Um, and so for me, I like identifying as many different, once I've established something and I feel like I've got enough bites and then I've identified enough water to do it for me, I'm going to try to find something else immediately instead of just continuing to do the same thing in practice because I want to have those other plans. Again, being strategic because come game day, n you know, not often does it go exactly how you plan. So you better have options and things and comfort zones to go to. Uh, last topic in regard to strategy is on the water decisions. <clears throat> Managing your fish to predictions um, is what I call predicting what you think, you know, using educated guesses, doing your research on what are the weights probably going to be, um, and really trying to get good at that. Um, I, I, I tell some of that to some of my friends really try to get good at predicting weights each and every tournament and trying to be right on because that will help you in future tournaments when you know what you need to fish for. If 15 pounds is winning tournaments, 
um, and you're out there trying to fish for 25, you're probably trying to, you're, you're doing things that may make you collapse when you didn't need to be fishing for that much. And then in multi-day events, um, it's a huge, huge factor. It may be the, one of the single biggest, most important parts of the success I've had in all my years of tournament multi-day bass fishing is really being strategic on what I think I need to make the cut, what I think I need to make the top 10, what I think I need to, to win, having those numbers dialed in my head. And then when I'm on the water, especially the first day of the tournament, um, depending on how long the tournament is, everything outside of the last day, I, you know, there's a question that I ask all the time. If I think 18 pounds a day is where I need to be to be in the top 10 and I catch 18 pounds on my first spot <clears throat> on day one, the question I always ask my buddies is what, what do I do? And most people say, well, you leave, you leave that spot. And the answer is kind of a trick question because what I didn't tell you, and it's extremely important is the data of what I have to make that 18 pounds. If I have 18 pounds and they're all three and a halves, then absolutely I'm, sh- I'm going to leave. But if I have 18 pounds and my smallest fish is a pound and a half, then I'm probably going to stay because a pound and a half or is not much of a wasting fish, depending on what fishery you're at. It all depends and it's relative to where you're at. But the question is still remains the same. If I have 18 pounds and my smallest is a pound and a half, I'm probably going to stick around to catch maybe another one because the odds of catching a two and a half or a three give me a big coal to another pound, pound and a half, and it's not really hurting me. But if I have a three pounder and I'm trying to get to a four and I'm burning two and a halves, that's probably going to hurt me. That single point has been massive in my career. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I've talked to so many people who they do the opposite. They either get 18 pounds and they leave, but they have a little one. And I'm like, man, it, it's technically not much of a risk if you have a, a pound, a pound and a half or to catch another one. But then on the flip side, which I see more often is they might have a two and three quarters, their smallest fish are at 18 and they're going to still stay. And I think they're burning so many fish for their future days and that's hurting them in the future. So that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I can tell somebody about on the water fish management. It's you have to have the weights dialed in your head before you go out of what you think. And then after day one, obviously you can recalibrate because you can see what the weights are. Hopefully you're within a half pound or a pound of what you thought. And, and then when you have those, and then when you have those decisions, if I think 18 pounds a day is going to get me in the top 10 and I've got 18 and my smallest fish is a two and a half, well then I can spend the rest of the day going for that knockout punch because my smallest fish is a solid and I have the weight that I need to be in the top 10. And now if I get a knockout punch fish, now I could be leading the event. But if I'm trying to fish for a a knockout fish, especially if the, you know, sometimes the time of day you want to do it just because you have a window, a small window, and that's okay to do that even if you don't have your weight. But if you're just fishing for a knockout fish when you have 14 pounds, you never get bit. Well, now you're way behind schedule because you were supposed to be at 18. And so I think running these numbers in your head is one of the funnest things I love about tournament bass fishing, multi-day events and managing. And I think there's a massive opportunity that a lot of people don't pay attention to and, and, and don't perfect. And I think that if you really pay attention to that and really be strategic about that, uh, it will pay mass dividends. I know it has for me in all my years. Um, I'm very, and I, I weigh all my fish. So I know exactly where I'm at. I know a lot of people don't weigh their fish for me. The reason I weigh them, I know it takes an extra minute to weigh them or 30 seconds, but that helps me make my decisions. If there's a lot of times, a lot of my buddies that don't weigh them, they don't know if their smallest fish is a two or two and three quarter. Well, to me, that is going to be massive in the overall decision-making, or they don't know if they have 16 pounds or 18. Well, if I have 16 and I know I need 18, that's a huge difference in the calls that I'm going to make, or maybe I'm going to leave, or maybe I'm not going to leave based on that, where if I know I have 18, I'm definitely going to leave. So knowing the weight you have is extremely important. I think it's, I think it's not a waste of time of your 30 or 40 seconds, especially with the, the culling scales we have now. Um, you can do it on the Rapala super quick. Um, and you, you have your overall weight and you know what your smallest fish is in, in each fish. So I think that's really important. Cannot emphasize that enough. If you're listening to this, I would, I would highly, uh, take note on that. Um, and then, uh, what's changed when you're on the water and how to adjust, um, what, when you're on the water, even after you practice, you have to be able to adjust today. I know I've said this before in other podcasts, the reason people's practices are phenomenal so many times you hear it over and over and over is because when they practice, they practice with an open mind. And then day one of the tournament, their open mind went away because now they're going to only do what they did in practice. Sometimes that works and that's great. But when it doesn't work is when you hear all the stories. So you have to stay fluid. You have to stay open-minded. You have to see what's changed and how do I adjust today 
compared to what's happening. And maybe it's not happening the way I thought it was, or maybe part of the day does and part of the day doesn't. You know the fish are in that area if you found them, but you may have to adjust your technique or you might have to slide out 50 yards or slide up 50 yards. But if you don't learn how to adjust during the day, you will never succeed at a high level in bass fishing. It is all about the, the adjusting on the water every single day. And it's so hard to do because you want to do what you did in practice and what you're comfortable and what history says, but you have to learn to adjust. And then I would also uh, relay that right into following your gut, following your gut, expanding, uh, expanding on um, just what we talked about, what changed and how do I adjust is following your gut each and every day. If your gut tells you to do something and you didn't even think about it or practice it, you have to do it. Your gut what I, I, I love asking this question. What is your gut? When people say that your gut, my definition of what your gut is in bass fishing is every second you've ever been on the water, all of the subconscious knowledge that you have that you don't even know you have, that your subconscious picks up every day that you fish and things that don't work and things that work. And you may not even put that into a, a, a full conscious thought, but your subconscious knows every time I do this, it doesn't work. Even though you may not be thinking that your subconscious knows it, which is what I would call your gut. The more I have learned to trust my gut, it is extremely hard in bass fishing because a lot of times that means going against something or making a random decision that I didn't plan on. I didn't plan on that. But part of being successful in being strategic is knowing that your gut is a major factor and you have to allow room to follow your gut while you're out there. Massive, massive, massive. All the greatest bass fishermen in the country they will talk about, you know, being instinctual and following your gut. It is the arguably the most important thing when you're on the water. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I just real quick, uh, two more things and two more Bible verses. One is Proverbs 24, three through four. It says by wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge. The rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Again, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. And because of that, this Bible verse saying are all filled with precious, uh, precious and pleasant riches. That is the fruit of being, uh, of seeking understanding, seeking knowledge, seeking wisdom in bass fishing for a smaller reward, which could be whatever your goal is, or in a much greater reward in life, obviously as a Christian in our faith. And, uh, the last thing I'm going to say is with all this, um, you got to have a good work ethic. Work ethic, uh, is, is absolutely critical and everything in this day and age, you see less and less of it, but that actually makes a better opportunity for a guy with a good work ethic to excel. And when you take the things that we talked about today, if you can take those things, if you can meditate on them, if you can sit down and, and, and do the hard work and do what a lot of people don't do, when you get off the water, think about these things, analyze these things, look at your weaknesses, look what I need to do to be better. All these things will put you ahead of the majority of people out there. The last Bible verse that I have for you is Colossians 3, 23 through 24. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's just, it's work ethic. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So for me, that, that, that Bible verse means to me is everything I do in life, no matter who it's for, whether the person's good or bad, whatever it is, if I'm going to do something and work, I'm going to do it as if I'm doing it for God, not the person I'm doing it for, which means I'm going to do it as the best I can possibly do it. And I'm not doing it for men and knowing that for, uh, from that, the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, please love the feedback. I loved, uh, to hear thoughts, comments. Um, I'm, uh, wanted to, uh, let you guys know too. It looks like we have our first guest coming up next week. Big name guy. We'll let you know next week. I'll keep the suspense, but a big name guy, you guys have all heard of him. We're going to have our first uh, guest on looks like, or the next, I should say next podcast that comes out. Um, and so that'll come out in a few weeks. And uh, looking forward to that. Otherwise, uh, follow me on Instagram, Dutra Fishing. Follow me on Facebook. Uh, you can just put in Philip Dutra. You'll come up. You'll see my fishing page. And uh, again, you can comment there. You can even leave comments on the podcast for under Apple or Spotify or whatever. It definitely helps. Uh, check out the bait of the week. And uh, God bless. And thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.